I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in December of 2021. Today, we're going to be talking about the reticence of humans to fully acknowledge our animality and our mortality, our subconscious anxiety at admitting we are yet one of billions of vulnerable creatures on our planet, and how a focus on helping other species and even maybe changing our self-perceptions in a more humble way not creating a narrative of ourselves as more unique superior beings may be fundamental to reducing discrimination and building a healthy relationship with other humans and the rest of the animal kingdom. That's it, that's all we're doing today, no big deal. Uh, to lead this discussion is our guest, Dr. Lori Marino, researcher and founder of the Camilla Center for Animal Advocacy. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The Camilla Center is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to apply knowledge research science, scholarship, and education to animal advocacy. It's not just a think tank, it's a think and do tank dedicated to moving beyond debate and theoretical discourse into real world animal adv advocacy applications. And it empowers advocacy by connecting it with science and scholarship, promoting the inclusion of animal advocacy in mainstream academic and cultural circles and cultivating a new generation of scholar advocates for animals. And I consider myself uh, one of those scholar advocates. The website is camilla.org and that's spelled K-I-M-M-E-L-A.org. And by the way, Camilla is a Native American word for butterfly, the most widely recognized symbol of transformation in nature. And Dr. Marino chose it to demonstrate the organization's commitment to transforming the relationship between human and non-human animals. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Lori Marino. She's the founder and executive director of the Camilla Center and co-founder of the Whale Sanctuary Project. Dr. Marino is a neuroscientist and expert in animal behavior and intelligence, formerly on the faculty of Emory University here in Atlanta, which is where I met her and we became friends. She's internationally known for her work on the evolution of the brain and intelligence in dolphins and whales and marine mammal welfare in captivity, as well as cognition in farmed animals through the Someone Project. Dr. Marino has published in over 130 peer-reviewed scientific papers, book chapters, magazine articles on marine mammal biology and cognition, comparative brain anatomy, self-awareness in non-human animals, human-non-human animal relationships, and the evolution of intelligence. It's one of her research page papers that we're gonna be talking about today, titled, I am not an animal, denial of death and the relationship between humans and other animals. And this is a paper first published in Anthrozoos Journal in 2015. It was recently updated by Lori Marino and her co-author, Michael Mountain, who is the former president and co-founder of Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. Welcome, Dr. Marino. Thank you very much, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, first, let's start with you sharing the basic terror management theory premise that's by Ernest Becker, the theorist, that helps explain the subconscious, subconscious or unconscious drive for humans to separate ourselves from others and want to feel superior. Yes, uh well, you know, Michael Mountain and I have been asking ourselves for many years now, why is it that, you know, we, we still haven't made as much headway as we'd like to make in advocacy for other animals? Human exceptionalism is an issue that uh, is cent central to that problem. 
And uh, we independently discovered the work of Ernest Becker, who was an anthropologist who wrote a book called The Denial of Death in 1973. And that book uh, won the Pulitzer Prize. And in that book, uh, Ernest Becker outlined what he perceived to be um, a problem that humans have, uh, our unconscious fear of personal mortality. So he said, look, you know, humans are smart and we're very aware and we're also very aware that we are going to uh, end someday. And that strikes fear in our heart. And it's, it's pretty unconscious. And what that does is, uh, you know, drives us to seek comfort in, in our cultures, in, in feelings or feelings of superiority, putting down other groups of people. And, and out of that uh, came a social psychology field called, called terror management theory, um, which was developed by three social psychologists in the 80s. And now is a worldwide uh, social psychology field, um, which takes the work of Ernest Becker um, produces hypotheses about what people will do when you remind them of their personal mortality and shows in hundreds of studies across so many different cultures that when you do that, people act in a predictable way. Um, and you can push people's uh, ideas and concepts and even biases and prejudices around by manipulating their, uh, their fear of their own mortality. So it's really, really fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, and I know that you and Michael are both dedicated animal advocates. What made you hone in on this psychological literature on human denial of our mortality as being foundational to advancing animal protection? Well, terror management theory has a lot to say about two big parts of, of what's wrong in this world, right? One is how humans treat other humans, right? And how humans treat other animals. Hmm. And it happens to have a, a lot to say about both of those because they both stem from the same fear, the same unconscious defense mechanisms. And so we were both looking for something that could explain why after all of these attempts, we still um, are exploiting animals, um, using animals, and still living by uh, a, a really outdated uh, view of nature where we put ourselves on top of everything and proclaim that we're exceptional, we're not yeah. animals, and that gives us a right somehow to do whatever we want with the other animals. And what is that? And where does that come from? And is that even tractable? Yeah, because uh, I know you cite in the paper, you know, so many of the problems that have exacerbated, whether it's extinction or, you know, expansion of factory farming and consumption of animals, even yes. though we're more aware of the problems with all these things and that we need to solve them. And it's not like people maybe don't 
care at all. I think they do. Mm-hmm. And we know, especially work of yours and your um, scientific colleagues about the cognitive abilities of other animals that they're really not, you know, it was very convenient in years past to just say they were dumb or they were almost like robots and they weren't, you know, they don't have a soul and all these different things mm-hmm. we would say to, to make it seem like, you know, we didn't have to think at all about them or they couldn't suffer. And now we know all that's not true. They are, they do suffer. So then, okay, with all this knowledge, why are, aren't things changing? So that's kind exactly. of part of what you Why were... aren't things changing? Uh, why aren't they changing as, as fast? And what's the resistance? And I think the resistance comes from this unconscious defense against feeling like uh, we are uh, on a par with the other animals. I mean, as Michael says, the rallying cry of our species is, I am not an animal. Yeah. And, and, and part yeah. of that seemed like it was from this, it, from your paper and the terror management theory, they talk about our need for immortality. So it's like one of the things that gets triggered if, if we hear about our death and we think of ourselves as a vulnerable biological species who might yes. die just like any other animal or anybody else, we seek maybe religion or other forms of like legacy or afterlife. And so maybe that's part of why so many human cultures have different stories about us living beyond our human Exactly, It's all about uh, trying to escape death. And yeah, yeah, we don't want to be animals because we know that if you're an animal, you die and you go into the ground and it's all about escaping animality. And yeah. there's been a lot of work done on this by uh, a number of people in the terror management uh, field, including Jamie Goldenberg. Uh, and she's, she's, uh, she's looked at this. And, and if you remind someone of their mortality unconsciously, you can change their reaction to the proposition that we're animals. So we, we don't want to be animals. Because they want to be special. And one of the ways you're special. Something different and unique. So that we don't end up like the other animals in the ground. Yeah. And so we're either, you know, some religious being or, you know, we, we are always looking for a way to get out of it. Yeah, and that our life has to be more meaningful than uh, right, like exactly. the fruit fly, the worm. And, and that's yeah. also why we denigrate other cultures because right. we wrap ourselves in the culture that we're in. And if somebody comes along and says, well, your religion says this, but my religion says that, that's a threat to us. Yeah. And what do we do? We say, well, your religion and you, you're not the real people you're the animals you know and and history is you know full of instances where we've taken other humans objectified them dehumanized them and called them animals well you when you call another human an animal it's not just a biological thing you're trying to say well your life doesn't matter your life is you're not you're lesser than yeah that's what they're trying because we see all the other animals members of other species as lesser than us right and um was there any new insights since you kind of updated it since 2015 was there something that you wanted to look at um related to more recent scholarships i don't know if you found any new insights well i mean we updated everything um in terms of the state of the situation Uh, now for animal advocacy 
we updated in terms of new studies that have been done in terror management theory, but most importantly, we updated how we ended, how we concluded, because a lot of people have put forth the notion that, well, if we just, you know, commune with nature, um, we'll lose our fear of, of mortality and we no longer, you know, we'll feel like we don't want to be animals. And I don't think it's as simple as that. I wish it were. Yeah. I think that both Michael and I've come to the conclusion that this is so deep in our psyche um, that first of all, we need to recognize that human exceptionalism is so embedded in the human psyche um, that it's gonna be very difficult to um, sort of de-entrench that. Avoid it or like just to prevent it. it. And so what do you do? Well, you first have to recognize it and then in a sense work around it, develop ways to advocate and protect other animals from us that, that don't involve necessarily humans completely giving up the notion that they are not animals because I don't know if our species can do that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. And in the meantime, what we can do is recognize that's who we are as a species, work around it by giving back to the animals, undoing by restitution, by all all the things that we can put in place that essentially protect the other animals from this animal. (laughs) From us, from the animal that doesn't claim to be an animal. Exactly, exactly. So, and essentially what you're saying in the end is that maybe we can't prevent this almost subconscious drive that we might have that gets triggered every time we recognize our mortality this sense that we want to be someone special and maybe mm-hmm. to do that means we have to denigrate or we accidentally or it accidentally is not the word, but um, our reflexes to maybe denigrate someone else in yeah. comparison to us. Yeah. At least if we know that we might not be able to prevent the initial reaction, the gut reaction. But if we know that that's happening on a somewhat conscious, but mostly unconscious level, we could at least change our behaviors to say, exactly. well, I, I'm not going to discriminate or I know that it's, you know, making me insecure. Right. And exactly. so, um, cause it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, this, in a way, this is embarrassing findings about us. Do you know what I mean? Like that it's we would put down it's some, not very anyone, flattering. that we would put and down other people and other animals so that we could kind of protect ourselves as someone special for purposes of kind of survival of sorts. Right. Um, exactly. So, but if we exactly. know that it's not, a personal statement about ourselves is just something that's triggered. And you're saying like, then we could recognize, okay, but it's created all this human exceptionalism has created a, a vast problem, which is why we have extinction of species, which is why exactly. we have climate change, which that's is exactly why we're, what we're saying. eating yeah. and killing billions of animals and researching on them and capturing them and doing all Putting kinds them of in por- factory farms and, and zoos and labs and yeah, aquariums. Right. I mean, this is all about human exceptionalism, that we can do it. And not only that we can do it, unconsciously, we want to do it because of the fact mm. that it shows us that we are not them. We're not on the plate. 
I have, I've always thought this is true, and I've mentioned this a little in my book, although I haven't theorized a lot about it, but just in terms of the, we don't want to be prey, because a lot of times I'm studying veganism mm-hmm. yes. and the, the way we should talk about it. And one of the reasons I think a lot of people can't give up eating meat or it's something taboo to talk about by politicians and stuff, um, even though it's clear that we shouldn't be doing this because it's not sustainable and it's cruel mm-hmm. and unnecessary, uh, but I think it keeps happening because on some level, even though we see other certain carnivorous and omnivorous animals eating each other or other animals, we use that as an excuse, like why we can do it too. Um, exactly. I I think ultimately we think, well, they're like, we look at deer where they're, they're prey, like they're made of meat as if we're not made of meat, but yeah, I know exactly. that we know that we're made of meat and that our flesh is also edible. So I think if we say we're special and we eat other animals, then it kind of seems like we're the top. We're on the top. It's the scalinatura, you know, the, the, the ancient Aristotelian view that there's a hierarchy of nature and we're on the top. All the other animals have their place on the ladder. And then above us, you know, are all these deities and religious entities and angels and God and whatever you want to call them. But we are definitely in a special place on that scala natura, on that great chain of being. Um, And yeah, Yeah. we we don't want to be prey. And when you really look at you know, stories about people who are preyed upon by other animals, you know, somebody's uh, in the backwoods by and, uh, they bear get or like by a crocodile. An animal, um, especially if the animal eats them, we're appalled. We're horrified. I, <laughs> I mean, we're just, how can that happen? Like, we're not prey. How right. dare that other animal assert themselves in that way? And I, I find that interesting. Right, because it happens every day, but somehow that's not appropriate. Like if, if, yeah, if us killing them, them you know want, how it's like sharks. Can't eat us. You see that a lot with sharks because we're killing them all the time. But at the minute some shark even bites somebody, it usually doesn't even eat we the go person. Nuts, you know? We're like, oh, they're so dangerous. Well, like proportionally, they're really not that dangerous to us in comparison. But like, it's like they don't recognize we're in some special category. <laughs> No, and they the fish are, the fish are edible, but we're not. I mean, driving in a car is a lot more dangerous than swwimming in the oh, ocean. Oh, absolutely. Not by a shark, orders of magnitude. But we don't go nuts, you know, about that. We, I think there's some special significance to being attacked by an animal like a shark because they are violating that plan of ours to always be on the top and to always be the predator and not the prey. Yeah. And I know like when I go, when I'm floating in the ocean or when I'm going on a nature hike, um, I recognize like, yeah, I might, I'm more subject to being prey in this environment, but likely not because honestly, we've killed off most of our um, carnivorous animals. But even so, I don't, they don't really want (laughs) to attack me. So I'm not that concerned, but also if it happened, it's like, well, I've put myself in their environment. I have no right to be any more protected than a deer or anyone else fishes or anyone else um, made of meat who, and so I think anyway, there's a certain kind of just recognition of my biological self. And then I'm not someone special just because I'm there on a hike. I don't get a pass. No, that's right. right. You don't get a pass because you don't want to be preyed upon. And they don't know I'm busy writing books and I have a radio show to host 
for God's sakes. I don't have time to get <laughs> and eaten you by know, a we bear. We want to say we're special, but we're not. I mean, we're just not. I mean, every species is unique and special in their own way. And we all know that. But as far as being qualitatively different than the other animals, uh, the, we have yet to find anything that makes us anything other than a great ape. And, yeah. you know, I, I've been saying this for years. We are great apes. Full stop. That's fine. Why? And, and so, you know, and but it becomes so much more than just a biological category. When you call somebody an yeah. animal. You're not just saying you're a great ape. Get over it. You're a great ape. You're you're doing something a lot more. You're degrading them you're, in a yeah, very special yeah. way. It's yeah. been yeah, it's been deployed um, in racist ways and in other exactly. ways to on purpose the notion of calling humans animals. Exactly. And it's exactly. hard for us in the animal protection movement then to re-empower the term or the notion of claiming our animality, given the grotesque way that it that word has been used instead of us celebrating that we're all part of the animal kingdom it's something we have to constantly um i don't know people particularly people of color in yeah. you know in a white dominated world have had to constantly fight against so i think it then becomes difficult for people to embrace the notion that we're all animals and it really isn't an insult when it right. has been it has been used as you said before to to make it so that someone doesn't have the full spectrum of human rights exactly. so i mean it's just so exactly. um there's so much going on with the it's term weaponized it, yeah it's weaponized. we've been talking you what we've been talking about now is like psychological and biological history along with cultural and political history that all kind of combines to make this subject so complex and, I wanna... and what we find interesting about Becker and all the work that's come out of it is how it's really held up in experimental studies. Yes, so and, many studies. And it's so deep that it really yeah. is at a level where if we can look at things at that level, it really gets to everything else above it. Yeah. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman, and we're talking with Dr. Lori Marino, Executive Director of the Camilla Center for Animal Advocacy. Uh, we're going to need to wrap it up due to time, but I was just going to ask you, um, based on your research, do you have any strategic advice for those of us in environmental and animal protection organizations about how we should approach our campaigns, knowing that saying, you know, knowing that people can be triggered about their mortality um, or that it might be hard to get past some of this. Like, is there something that maybe would change how you as an activist approach mm -hmm. other people on this topic? Well, I think just to be aware that that's something that's deep in the human psyche, this human exceptionalism and, and the reason might be because of what Becker said. Um, and, and also uh, to, to not have expectations that that can be, you know, changed. Like easily. Overnight. Yeah. So, you know, do things that, I mean, I'm, I feel very strongly about legal rights for other animals because they protect other animals from us. Mm. Um, we have <laughs> to, in a sense, put in place uh, protections for other animals that don't always depend upon everyone agreeing mm. on that and it's something normative like that 
Um, just because we're never going to get to the point where everybody wants to be vegan or wants to not see animals uh, in zoos. So right. with that full knowledge, what do we do to protect the animals so that we can not use them in those ways? Yeah, that's actually really profound, this notion that we might never be as good as we want to be. But oh. if we recognize that what we're doing is harmful and wrong because we have all this information about animal cognition and all the harms and the ecological harms and the individual harms to the suffering, um, that we owe them something to protect them from the worst aspects of ourselves. Exactly. Our, you know, even though we don't really mean to do these things and we don't mean right. for our lifestyles to be so destructive, but they are. Right. So like, what can we do to protect them from ourselves and the worst aspects of ourselves? Knowing that we are fallible animals. Yeah. Just and like everyone else. Because I'm really into the we moral, are as a species. moral progress and like us becoming this really altruistic um, individual. But um, it's, and I think as we strive for that, one of the ways we can, if we say that's the best aspect of ourselves would be caring for others is let's put some of these protections in place, legal and policy protections, as you say, um, so that animals are better defended against our inclination towards this human exactly. superiority. That's, exactly. I think that's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly Well, it. Let's, let's end while we said something smart. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> know thyself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's the end of our show. I want to thank Dr. Lori Marino for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the work you do as a scholar advocate for the more than human world and applying your scientific research skills towards findings that help us humans see how and why we should treat non-human animals with more respect. So thank I really you. appreciate thank you, for you, having you, me. you, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> thank and you. to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash in tune to nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs>